Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway, and we are mid-February 2024, which leads us to our obligatory first 60-day RSP contribution podcast. I thought it was going to be the obligatory, where has the last six weeks gone? Yeah, there's that too. We have absolutely no idea. But um, between all of the chaos and mayhem that is our lives, we're still here talking to you about RSP contributions and helping you make the most of the first 60 days of a new year to benefit your 2023 tax return. Well, yeah, that's right. We got a couple weeks left uh, or less, depending on when you listen to this episode. Yeah, the clock is ticking and we want to kind of go over kind of some of the bells and whistles. We want to actually want to break down some of what is in your T1 to have a better understanding of how this all works and how to kind of play the game that the CRAs let us uh, kind of fool around with, with RSPs and all of the legal stuff we're allowed to do. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, everybody kind of knows the basics, right? RSPs allow you to kind of get some money back, which is really just tax you've already paid on earned income. But it's actually quite a bit more than that. And I think some of the nuance gets missed quite a bit because we think about this pretty simplistically and that can lead to missed opportunities or even miscalculations if you're trying to do some kind of quick and dirty on the paper napkin uh, ways to reduce your own income tax. So I'm going to talk through that a little bit here today. But the best explanation that I've heard came to me really recently from an accountant about how RSP deductions work. And of course, being an accountant, he said, hey, pull up your handy dandy T1 general, which I did. And I'm going to use that here today because I think it can really open your eyes as to what is actually available to you and what goes into these calculations. So you say it'll open your eyes or perhaps open your wallet or close the wallet, depending on which way this goes. Open it up to an RSP contribution so that you can get some tax back. Let's let's leave it there. So both. So both, yeah. So when you're thinking about an RSP, really it's coming down to a few simple questions. The f- the first is what has reduced my taxable income so far in the tax period that I'm looking at and what has increased my taxable income during that period and also has there been taxes already paid on that amount? Seems simple. It's a little bit more engaged than that. Yeah, I was going to start with, do I have a job? (laughs) Did I pay my taxes this year? Have you filed a return in the last five years? Am I confused about question one or question two? That's correct. Yeah, if that was overwhelming, maybe skip the rest of this podcast because uh, we're going to get into it in a minute here. Or you know what? Maybe you could benefit from it the most. So let's, let's get into it. Just be safe. Just listen to it like three or four times. We are not opposed to that solution. So we're going to put a link in the description to just kind of the government of Canada's downloadable T1 packages for your tax return, because you can pull up a blank one for this coming 2023 tax return that you'll be filing shortly and take a quick look. Yeah, it's important to use the 2023. Don't use the 2022. Don't use the 2021. Don't just pick up an old T1 you found somewhere. Use the official one from CRA. Because things change every single year on the back end of this paper. So it's always best just to get the most current one and then you'll be a little less prone to make mistakes. Yeah, and we're already seeing new line items in there for things like the FHSA, which is pretty cool uh, to see how quickly that's been integrated. 
So step one, understanding your total income, because this is where the whole thing starts. Obviously, when someone says, hey, what's your income? You think about your day job and you think about what you earn on an annualized basis to do the work that you do. And if you're in the gig economy, you might think about it as your gross income or your net income or your kind of evening and weekend. Black market and lemonade stand? Sure, why not? Hey, you know what? As long as you reported it on your tax return, it's in some way on the up and up. We won't uh, question the methods here. But in the same way that you think about your employment income as kind of step number one, so does the government, right? So the biggest and kind of the first line that you're going to see as in step two on the return under total income is your employment income. And then, of course, there's going to be things like your commissions that you might have earned, other employment income. You'll see things like old age security there, CPP, other pensions, superannuations, uh, elected split pensions if you split income with your spouse, if you meet other criteria and you're in retirement already. And things like EI are in there as well. So really all of these different sources are just getting added up to give the picture of the total income. So those are kind of the first and the obvious things that you might be able to point at and say, yeah, you know what, this is a taxable source. This makes sense to me. This is income that I have either brought in or received as a government benefit. Yes, I understand that this is going to be taxable to me. But there are other factors that make up your total income that RSPs can count against that you may not be aware of. And the big one that I'd like to highlight is the taxable portion of capital gains. If you've had a rental property in the past and you've sold that rental property with the changes in real estate value recently for a lot of people, they're in a pretty big capital gain position. And that capital gain position means that there's going to be a good chunk of tax owing because there's the capital gain and then there's the taxable portion of the capital gain. And while we're not going to get into that in too much detail today, the taxable portion of that capital gain goes into that calculation of total income. So along with other these other factors, including rental income, including self-employment income and business and professional, even farming and fishing income is uh, listed because it does have some special tax treatment on there as well. All of these things form your total income. And the good part is that RSP deductions come later in the next section of the form when we're actually calculating net income. And net income, if you're kind of familiar with with the financial speak, is um, that it just means we've deducted out certain things. Yeah, so if if you want to keep up with the financial speak, this is kind of like the bottom line that you use to see how much money you really made after other taxes and other deductions and a whole host of other things at our disposal. And net income is figuring out what is actually, well, I guess in this case, what is actually fully taxable on your behalf? Well, and that's why this understanding of total income and not just kind of your, your T4 job understanding of the deductions that you can get to come to your net income is really, really helpful in the planning process because that's when you can start doing some of these calculations that we're going to talk about a little bit later on the show to kind of quick and dirty this for yourself to get it to some state of helpfulness as you're trying to figure out how much you might want to put into your RSP this year. So let's take a quick look at net income. 
When you're thinking about making a contribution into an RSP, you're going to want to also have a good understanding of what is already gone into a registered product. So an RSP on your behalf during the year. And that number can be found in things like a pension adjustment, if you have a pension plan, or an RPP deduction, if you have an RPP, um, an RSP, which can include a group RSP, or some of these, I mean, there's all kinds of different schemes out there to find contribution plans, group RSPs, uh, these portions where you put in some money into an RSP or a registered product and your employer puts some money in as well. Yeah, I think there's probably like five or six different types of schemes available now. Like there's like a private pool, there is like a income splitting dividend share and just a whole host of other ways where the company gives you a something a little extra with the purpose of it going towards your retirement. So it may not just be like a straight RRSP label, but it's all kind of within the same family of like tax deferral growth for your retirement out of extra income out of your employer. Yeah, so those are kind of the easy ones to pick on. Included in there can also be if you're part of a union, union or professional dues, things along those lines as well. And um, some surprising ones, maybe some childcare expenses can be deductible. Moving expenses for certain reasons can be deductible. Um, all of these things, it can be beneficial if you've got a strange situation or an unusual thing that has happened in this year, kind of out of the norm that you think might qualify. That could be something that you could look at this form for, for the sake of kind of determining if it is applicable to you before you start calculating your RSP contribution deductions. And of course, if all else fails, or if you go, my goodness, Christine, get a grip. What are you talking about here? I'm not pulling a T1 general and reading it on my spare time. This is when you call your accountant. And this is when you call your financial planner. And pro tip, if you have a good financial planner. And if you have a good accountant, they will be asking you either for a copy of a prior year's tax return, or they'll be asking you some of these questions as well so that they can see what some of the allowable deductions are. Um, if nothing else, they should be saying all else equal, which is essentially saying, hey, was your last tax year similar to the current tax year that you're filing for? So they're trying to see if there are a lot of similarities or differences. And of course, there are many other deductions and things like that. Uh, that we have not mentioned specifically here. So always a good thing to pick up the phone, chat with your accountant, if you're doing this specifically to get to one particular number. So all of that really was to say that in all of those other things that you can deduct to come to your net income, RSP deductions are on that list. So everything that you saw in that total income column that we talked about first is now able to be reduced by an RSP contribution. And the reason we mention all of these other factors that can play in is because it's very important to know what else is going to be reduced so that you can find out what your true net income will be before you make this RSP contribution, because that is how you're going to calculate how much tax you'll actually be saving and what tax bracket combined BC and federal you'll be falling into, because that Again, another big pro tip here is one of the big deciding factors on how much to put in. Because as I've said in the past, there's always going to be a never exceed line. Like you don't want to make more of a contribution than this because it'll drop you too low um, on the refund scale. And that's not the only factor in making a decision, but it can be a material factor depending on your level of income. 
yeah, it's like a pretty narrow margin to kind of hit that sweet spot of getting all the bells and whistles with the with the limited negative stuff and then tfsas have kind of made things even more interesting but yeah it's important to kind of find that specific number for your year in your province to kind of get your most bang back for your buck well and i think we can distill it down further into four factors so four simple questions you can ask yourself to determine first off if you should be making an rsp contribution in the first place wait there's four and there's four letters in RRSP. Does it oh, start no. with RRSP or no? Are, are we too late to do that? We're, we're way too late for that. This is not an acrostic. This is just four quick tips on uh, whether or not you should be making an RSP contribution. And actually, well, I, I am just disappointed now. Yeah, sorry. I'm not that creative. And uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about how much you should be putting in. So if you do determine that you should be making an RSP contribution, then we'll kind of get down to the nitty gritty of coming to the actual number. See, this is surprisingly way more technical than you thought, Cam. Throw money into RSP. Throw money into RSP now before February 29th. Seems simple enough to me. Yeah. Oh, and I guess that's a good side note as well. We're used to the deadline being March 1st, but in these years, it's always 60 days. So in years like this, where we've got a February 29th, uh, that is your last day for an RSP contribution to have it count to the 2023 taxation year. I had a leap year joke, but I decided to skip for a couple years. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like those people that only have like how many birthdays? Like people that are born on the 29th of February. It's so funny. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. If you're one of those people, I apologize. Uh, four factors to determine if you should make an RSP contribution this year. Simple, simple. Let's keep it simple. So how much money or how much income are you making now? So we're going to kind of call your memory back to that lovely T1 general, and ask you, just ballpark, you know, this this doesn't have to be a science if you don't want it to be, how much income you're pulling in or pulled in in that prior tax year that you're trying to do the calculation for. And I mean, if you're not doing it as a back look, but you're doing it as a plan for 2024, of course, look at your 2024 tax year instead. Next, you want to ask yourself how much income you think you'll be making in the future. And we've talked about this before where there's this throw to how is your career trajectory looking? What are your prospects for the future? What are your income expectations? Is it significantly more than what it is today? Next, we're going to ask ourselves how much you think you will spend during retirement. And this isn't a detailed retirement income analysis by any means. It's just kind of a quick thought to your obligations and if your set of expenses, if you think they're going to change dramatically once you've retired or not, um, things that could make them change would be like if a mortgage was paid or a, a larger loan or any portion um, like kids moved out, right? Like things that are now taking a lot of your money, if those are no longer there as expenses, you love and you love them and you miss them. But if they're no longer there as expenses on your income sheet, then um, that is a factor in figuring out if your income is going to be lower, higher, or basically close to what it is now, of course, adjusted for inflation. And then the fourth question is, how much time do you have until retirement? Because one of the biggest benefits of an RSP is tax deferral. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Okay, so let me go over these four questions. And I've been doing a lot of thinking over the past two minutes. I think I figured it out. <laughs> okay. Step one, realize how much income you're making right now. Two, 
Rationalize how much income you'll make in the future. Oh, no. Three, survey how much time you have <laughs> until retirement. And four, plan how much you will spend during retirement. There, I did. I made an acrostic. I'm done. Good night. You really can turn anything into anything, can't you? That's amazing. I am I'm applauding right now. That is a life skill that they cannot teach anywhere. So that was fantastic. And you know what? Let's make it twice as good. If you have a spouse or a common law partner, you get to ask these questions twice. So we get to double your fun on your RSP acrostic. But I want to take a bit of a minute to talk about tax deferral as one of the bigger benefits to RSP. Now, before TFSAs, this was a hugely powerful argument because if you had a lot of time until your retirement, so think about your life as kind of a big long line, past, present, and future. If you are young and you've got a lot of time in your career, Wait, you're not going to, on the day that you retire, immediately draw everything out of your RSP, right? So your RSP is designed to serve you and potentially your spouse or common law partner for as long as you both shall live. So depending on your age now, your RSP could still have 10, 20, 30, you know, like let's just, how long is your life expectancy? It could stretch way, way, way out into the future. And where this becomes powerful is RSPs. I mean, yes, TFSAs are amazing. If you're in a lower income, you would do that first. But RSPs, you get a good chunk of change that you have available to put into them every year. And you get to accumulate that until you use it. It's right on your notice of assessment. as um, It'll tell you what you have available for that year, for that tax year to contribute into your RSP without over-contributing. And every year that you earn income, you would get more room. I think the max this year is up to $30,000, which is a very healthy amount to be able to contribute. Now, I mean, most of us don't have an extra $30,000 just kicking around for RSP contributions, but the idea is that we are getting that option available to us that if we do, let's say, sell something like a rental property or something that generates a taxable capital gain, or if we find ourselves in a really high income year for whatever reason, we have this accumulated room that we can then use to reduce that total income so that our net income is significantly lower. And that can be a huge tax play for those outlier years. So those years where something unusual out of the norm has happened and you suddenly have a lot of extra taxable income on your tax return. But I digress here. I've missed the whole point about deferral. The whole point about deferral was... D. No, no. Oh, no, we're done. What, one across the episode's enough. I think so. You know, it deferral is a long word, so I'm not going to put you through all that. Thank you. All right. That's good. So deferral. The reason you would do this is because when you don't have to pay tax on the growth and gains, more money is compounding on your behalf every single year until you withdraw it. And that is huge because that is money you didn't have to remove from the account or take from other sources to pay the tax. Like if you're thinking about a non-registered account, yes, you are going to have a tax bill every year that you have a holding. And this deferral is fantastic because you now have your lifespan potentially to spread this out. Now, there's never just a good thing, right? The caveats are when the money comes out, it does come out as regular income. And the other caveat is, as you get older, so 
71 now is the latest age to take a bunch of government benefits. But some people take them as early as 60 and that can put them in the clawback zone where you're actually losing out on money that could have been yours because your taxable income is now too high because you are now required after 71 to take a specific percentage out of your RSP, which is now a RIF, or maybe it's a pension every single year. And I mean, the other big thing is without proper estate planning on the second spouse or common law partners passing a large RSP balance, you can completely blow your tax planning and end up with a huge bill, which just reduces the inheritance to whoever's left. And that's, as a side note, taxable to the estate. So one of the tricks here is you have to make sure there's enough money available to the estate to actually pay that tax bill. So I always encourage people, we can kind of ballpark what people's marginal and average tax rates are. And you kind of, in your mind, portion out that portion of your RSP for taxes. Or you know what, you can just have a good old time and spend it all during your life with proper planning, of course, so that you don't run out of money. But that's what a good retirement planner is for, right? Like to get these calculations done for you and to get the range of possibilities broken down for you so that you can have that understanding. Yeah, it's better than just doing it yourself, taking out too much money, and CRA is just more than happy to claw back and make their own little adjustments for you. That is actually the perfect transition into our next little portion of this, which is, geez, it's like you read these notes ahead of times. Spoiler alert, he does not. He's kind of winging it the whole way through. And that's why we get the brilliant acrostics that we do, because he is just really, really, really good at coming up with random stuff. Uh, I have to be a little bit more planned. I'm not that talented. But... um Let's break it down. How much should you put into your RSP? Okay, Cam, do you have any quick suggestions for us? Money. Oh, no. <laughs> I said how much money? Uh, the legal amount, if it makes sense for you, if not, a lot less. <laughs> and this is why I do the planning work. Oh, that's good. That was a good answer. I like that. I appreciate that. So to answer this question, we're going to give you some more homework and we'll talk through a few of them. I did pulled um, combined BC and federal, combined Ontario and federal, and combined Alberta and federal marginal tax rate tax schedules to kind of illustrate a point. And I would say if you're in another province, absolutely get qualified advice from someone in your province that will have a good understanding of not only the tax system there, but the tax credits and things like that that are available. My knowledge is very much limited to BC. So anything beyond that, this is just a quick look at some publicly available information and not a detailed analysis of because that's really not my wheelhouse at all. So Let's look into BC first. I'll start here just because of my home bias. When you're in BC, if you were to mash up your provincial and your federal tax that you're owing and you convert it over into a percentage, and I'm going to talk about 2023 just because we're talking about our last looks for the first 60 days, but of course you can do this for 2024 as well for the remainder of your tax planning for the year. But um, in 2023... If you earned $45,654 in the province of British Columbia, you would pay a combined marginal tax rate of 20.06%. And again, that does not take into account any credits, any personal federal or provincial deductions, uh, basic or otherwise. It's just the marginal tax rate. But here's where it gets interesting. From that $45,654 up to $53,000, 359, 
your tax rate only increases a tiny little bit to 22.7%. So effectively, you can earn up to 53359 in 2023 in the province of BC, and you haven't paid any more than that 22.7%, and you may have paid less if you had some of the deductions that we talked out that reduced your total income um, and gave you a lower net income number. Now, we want to make it even more interesting. We look at the next bracket, which just means that when your income jumps between 53,359 and $91,310, your tax bracket jumps to 28.2% marginal tax rate. Now, would you rather get money back at 20% or at 28%? Cam, I'll put that one to you. I like the lower number. No, oh, no. Oh, no, you're doing this very wrong. You are definitely not a financial planner. <laughs> Wait, you work in my office, right? All right, not in the planning area. He's really good at investments. Let's keep him in the investments. Okay, so this is where a little finesse and understanding these marginal tax rates by province combined with the federal tax rates is incredibly helpful because when you can see after, so, and we're looking at your net income or looking at your net income after the deductions, after all that other stuff, if you're able to see how much of a benefit you can get in one of these higher brackets, you can kind of do a little bit of a quick subtraction exercise and keep yourself from dropping into one of these lower brackets where you still put the same dollar into your RSP, but you're only getting taxed back at a lower rate. So in BC, if your income is between 91 and 53, there's some movement here that will keep you in that 28.2% bracket. But if your contribution, let's say you earn $55,000 and you put $10,000 into your RSP, you're going to have part at 28.2% and part at 22.7%. So there's actually a diminishing return that has occurred. And this flows through to other provinces as well. So I'm no expert in Ontario, but I thought it was really interesting because this kind of echoed, well, let's be honest here, we probably followed them. It's probably not the other way around. But um, Ontario had their rates for 2023 set in a similar fashion, which basically meant for them on the first $49,231 in 2023, you were paying a marginal tax rate not counting any other things uh, that can occur on your tax return or any credits or anything, of about 20.05%. And between 49,231 and 53,359, it jumped uh, just ever so slightly to 24.15%. So very similar two-step here where you've got a small increase on those two bottom tax brackets, but it's between 20 and 24%. And then... On the next dollar, all the way up to $86,698, rates increased to 29%. Uh, and then they continue to go up as you earn income from there. So depending on whether you're a lower income earner, a higher income earner, somewhere in between, you may find yourself smack dab in the middle of a bracket where it doesn't really matter because you're going to be at that percentage, but you might find yourself at the edge of a bracket, which basically just means that if you put in more than you should, you're going to knock back the amount, the percentage of the refund, because they're just giving you back the money based on your net income. 
And really quickly, Alberta is a little bit different in 2023 on their brackets, MTR, marginal tax rate. The first 53000 and change was at 25%. And then they had a really wide bracket, which was considerably different than the other two provinces I previously mentioned. So from 53000 all the way up to one hundred six, dollars $106,717, only jumped up 5%. To 30.5, so five and a half percent, sorry. And then goes from 106 to 142 and change. So just kind of rounding the numbers here to 36% after that. So there is some room there, but I mean, depending on your province and depending on how these things are structured, the opportunities will look different and the ranges will be different as well. So yeah, like Christine said, different provinces, different rates, different sweet spots. So this is where the legwork on your end is going to come in and you have to figure out exactly where you fit in in these brackets. So you know kind of what to do with your RSP money or if that'll become TFSA money or something else or maybe new TV money. Who knows? <laughs> well, and like I said, we kind of glossed over it a little bit for today. TFAs are incredibly powerful because you don't lose that preferential tax treatment when you're taking money out. There's no tax at all when you're taking money out of your TFSA. Plus, you get all that tax-deferred growth. So we are huge fans of using those to their ability as well. And I think a good integrated plan includes both a TFSA and an RSP because especially if you are a higher income earner or if you have a spouse that is a higher income earner and that can do spousal that has some room available for you there as well, then there is some huge tax savings for a lot of people that you can take advantage of during your working years and still get that big benefit of tax deferral. Yeah. And if you run out of room after those two, that's when the non-registry comes in. And that's a whole other taxable ball of yarn. I'll just put it that way. A big ball of wax. We'll tackle that another day. So I think that's probably a little bit more technical than we needed to be today, but um, hopefully it gets you thinking. Hopefully it either points you in the right direction or gives you the realization that maybe talking to a professional like your accountant, or your tax preparer, or your financial planner for a little bit of extra assistance might be beneficial. And of course, if you like to do things yourself, that's kind of why we go into this level of detail. Uh, just to give you the tool set, it's of course never going to be 100% comprehensive. We got to save some of the tricks of the trade for the professionals, of course. But um we will put as much in there as we can to kind of keep it functional for you and hope that this at the very least points you in the right direction. So we'll leave it there for today. If you live in BC and would like to talk to us, uh, feel free to reach us out to us at Braun Financial. That's braunfinancial.com. We're always happy to hear from you there. And if you are just looking to kind of chat or send some feedback or some comments, feel free to find us on our Facebook group. It's Personal Finance Canada. Yeah, we've been kind of tackling RRSP, but there's any other topics that you want to hear us talk about, any questions you have, any good books you've come across on personal finance, just let us know through the Facebook group. That would be awesome. We create content on a weekly basis here. So any help is appreciated. So until next time, take care. Don't get audited. And that truly would be all the best. <laughs>